0: Welcome to "I Want to Put a Baby in You," a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman.
1: Welcome back to another podcast. I am Jennifer White, and I am here with the super incredible, stupendous, wonderful sister of mine, Ellen Trackman. Aww. <laughs> See, I do love you. And I like that you said sister,
0: because I, I feel like we mention it a lot, but I still get people who say, oh, I listened to your podcast. I didn't realize you were sisters. So like,
1: I know, right? I mean, so either people don't realize we're sisters or they think we're the same person. So there's no in between. <laughs> <laughs> right. And today's show
0: is about an amazing support organization, and I thought we would chat briefly about um, support in our lives. And do you have any good stories of support? Because mine would be sharing sister love—that you've always been a great support to me. I mean, not when we were really little and you like threw like a Milli Vanilli tape at me, but other times um, you've been very supportive. Like, I I I mean, I was a sister. Come on, these are
1: those stories happen to all siblings, right? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right. I think you got me one of my first jobs, which was, um, I was paid for a while to go to the high school theater that was used as like the community theater in our town to do the spotlight for different shows. And I was like amazed that they, they would pay me for that.
1: Right. Um, yeah, I think I helped you secure like one of your other jobs at later time too. Like we, we job shared an office (laughs) one summer because. Right because yeah. I had moved away. And so they were like, Oh, we need a legal, you know, it was, in oh, it was when you were in that, law school. Right. And
0: that goes back to like us being the same person. So like, yeah, Oh, exactly. we won't even notice that there's a different person here. It's all the same. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I say having family and sister and support. I mean, even if it's like family that you make as your own family, I mean, I've definitely had, obviously I have family stories. Like you've come and sat with me when I've had to have surgery and things like that. And it was always just nice to know that you're loved, even if there's nothing you can do in those situations. Um, but I also have like tons of like, yeah. people are just good in general. I'm just, just going to throw that out there. Oh, I, I, I like your I, positive feeling, attitude. I don't always feel that way. The people are good, but you're right. Today,
0: today is a day of talking to good people and hearing about an amazing organization that helps those going through infertility. Welcome, Naomi and Jill from Uprooted, to the show. We are happy to have two of you, not just one guest today, but two. So, know, double, it's exciting. double exciting show. Um, let's start by doing some introductions. Uh,
2: Jill, do you want to start with telling us a little bit about yourself? Yep. My name is Jill Wolf. I live in Minneapolis. Um, I have two daughters, and I'm married, and we went through many years of. Infertility before we were able to have our wonderful two little daughters and via surrogacy. So I'm excited to join the podcast and uh, happy to answer any questions.
1: Awesome. So let's do a quick introduction of Naomi and I'd love to go talk back loop and talk about your surrogacy journey and things like that
3: as well, just a little bit. So, Naomi, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is Naomi Les. I am all the way over on the East coast, far away from Jill um, uh, in New York city in Brooklyn. I, uh, I myself went through a seven year, very biblical seven year fertility (laughs) journey um, uh, where I kind of danced in the sphere of all different kinds of medical practices and different philosophies around fertility challenges. Um, Ultimately, uh, was able to have a child through um, an egg donor and a very aggressive autoimmune protocol. Oh wow! Okay,
1: those are that's really that that's also an amazing. Like you guys have two very very different stories, so I think it's awesome to talk about each of your stories and then what's brought you kind of to the same same purpose together. So. Mm, mm-hmm. Jill, do you mind talking a little bit about your surrogacy journey as much as you're you're comfortable and and kind of what what brought you to that and And briefly, just kind of how those went. I know we talked a lot to people about how their entire journey went. But with two of you on here, we kind of have to do the shorthand version, I guess <laughs> right. And sometimes
0: people know pretty quickly, and other times it's a long a lot of trying before they're really pushed
1: towards surrogacy right right. what What brought you to surrogacy?
2: So we got married when I, I was 30, my husband was 31 and I was a teacher and yeah, I always knew we wanted to have a big family. And so we decided my husband's like, well, let's wait a little bit of time. So I was like, okay, we'll wait one year and then we're going to have, you know, one one child when I'm 31, one when I'm 33, one when I'm 35. You know, it's going to be love, we, like, get it love out, right? <laughs> we love we love the We love the scheduling.
0: Right, <laughs> it all works
2: out. Right, exactly. Um, so then we, uh, you know, we start we started trying. After about six months, I started getting pretty nervous. Like I was like, I wonder if there's something wrong. So a friend of mine suggested that we go, you know, just go to a fertility clinic and check it out. So when we went there, they were like, you know, everything looks good. Um, I don't think there's any problems. Just, you know, keep on trying for a little bit. But if you start to get worried and you really want to fast forward this process, I mean, you're still young enough, but, you know, we'll we'll move you on to Clomid, which is, you know, kind of the most minor type of thing. So about three months later, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to to do that so we went through four rounds of clomid clomid is like does crazy stuff to your, know, your I, emotions I was gonna right. ask some people i, I was we gonna ask that exactly lot. that question some people are like
1: no it's totally fine other people are like oh god i was insane
2: <laughs> Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, and then it's just the process of you're going to the doctor so many times and then, you know, you're, you're waiting to see, you're kind of on this like uphill roller coaster where it's like, okay, you gear up for this month. It's going to be, you know, you're all excited. Everything's going to go well. And then you have that two week wait and then, you know, and then you find out you're not pregnant. So it's like this and you're on the balancing and then you have to kind of get back up on the horse and do it again. So we did that for four months, and and the doctor could sense that I was getting pretty. Like I was like, "What? What is? Why do you think it's not working?" And he's like, "You know, Joe, sometimes it's just I don't know. Sometimes it doesn't work. It's you know, ultimately." Well, what he said is, "You know what, Joe? The only people that get pregnant really fast are sixteen-year-olds whose boyfriend's name is Vinny."
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Sorry, did your doctor really seriously say that? That's horrible. Quite quite honestly, yeah. We'd like to apologize
0: know. to all the Vinny listeners. I know, there.
1: right?
2: <laughs> totally. So he, meanwhile, like, you know, the 16 year old and all of my friends, because we all kind of got married around the same time and, you know, slowly but surely they're all getting pregnant. And so, uh, you know, I was deaf. I, I was like, I, I'm ready to move to IVF. Then I want to, you know, I just, I just, I'm ready to be a mom. And so we went through, um, We went through one round of IVF, everything looked good. Um, I had the right number of follicles, I had the right number of eggs, everything fertilized well. And then just didn't get pregnant. And, you know, the doctor was like, sometimes it takes three times, you know, before you get pregnant. Um, They were not, they were only putting in two embryos and there was another fertility clinic and we lived in Chicago at the time that was more aggressive. And I was like, you know what? I I don't care if I have twins. I'd even take triplets. And so we went to a more aggressive fertility clinic. And I remember him saying to both my husband and myself, like within three rounds, you'll be pregnant. And, you know, there's a 90% chance you'll be pregnant. And I was like, great. Wow. So we went through the first one again, everything looked good. We didn't get pregnant. Second one, everything looked good. We didn't get all pregnant. All right, since you mentioned multiple embryos, how many embryos were you because
1: cause I'll be honest, like in in right now, in like the past like three, four or five years, it's like trending towards only single embryo transfer. Yes. So you're talking about like them always doing more than two, and then you go into even more aggressive. How many were you transferring?
2: So they were transferring, they started at three and then they went all the way up to five. Wow. And how yeah. long ago was this? This was in, well, my, my oldest was born in 2006. So this okay. was probably like between 2002 and 2000. Okay. And that's in the realm of when that, yeah, that makes sense now. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and, and listen, I mean, I have friends who got, pre- a friend of mine got pregnant with, they put in two embryos in one split and she had triplets that comes with its own slew of problems. So. right? <laughs> <laughs> I I remember her saying when, when her triplets are born, like, just be happy you have a singleton because it's, you know, now I'm just worried all the time because they were born so early. So anyway, we, um you know, we went, we went through this process. Eventually uh, we went out to New York. They, they, the doctor was like, listen, we're not sure what's wrong, but Cornell in New York has, has more, I was in the unexplained category. And for me, I'm, you know, a person, I, I just, I was like, I need an answer. Like if we're gonna, you know, move on to, to something else, I, I, I feel like I need an answer as to what's wrong here. And they said, you know, New York has more protocols. They cultured the embryos in your endometrial lining. So it was kind of like a more natural environment. So we went out there, the same thing. We, We went through the exact same thing. And the doctor was like, you know what, Jill, you just have to give it a little bit more time. But we were in the process of moving from Chicago to Minneapolis. We couldn't just come out to New York for, you know, a month at a time. So we moved to Minneapolis and we did, um, you know, we did a few, we had extra embryos. We did a frozen transfer. um, And then I ran into someone at the fertility clinic who, a friend of mine from college, and she was there like with her three-year-old at the time going through a second round for her second child. And she said that she used a surrogate. And she she, was the first person I had spoken to that actually had kind of, had gone through numerous rounds. I think we'd been through Six rounds at that point, and with no, it was, we didn't have a chemical pregnancy. We didn't have a miscarriage. Not that you ever wish for anything like that, but like just something that, you know, could show that my body could actually carry a child. And she had a similar situation and they used a surrogate and were successful. So I said to my husband, before we move on to the adoption process, because I, I felt like that was our next option at that time, they didn't really have egg donor, you know, an egg donor wasn't, Alice, that was an option. And so I said, before we move on to that, I would love to see if we can, you know, if we can have our own child or like a biological child and so we ended up working with an agency and met like two, two different women and, you know, it fell through. Anyway, we met that. We met our third surrogate. Who's like, all right, I'm doing, I do the
1: numbers in my head all the time. I'm like, so six rounds of IVF your, of transfers yourself. How many embryos did you go through during those six rounds? Sorry. I'm like just adding numbers yeah, here.
2: Um, let's see, I would say in the twenties.
1: Oh, so six, so six rounds to your transfers yourself. 20ish embryos 3 gestational carriers at this point. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah,
2: exactly to meet. Yeah, and it was right, like, right, you know, right. and, and, and I was a person who like a lot of people kind of take breaks. I was like go go go. Like I just want I was just like, well, we'll do we have to do what we need to do. And so let's move on to the next thing and ne- you know, the next thing. And I just I didn't really take any breaks, which in hindsight, you know, would have been nice if I could have enjoyed my <laughs> my time child yeah. free for a little bit longer, but I just kind of got on this like path where I was like, I want to do whatever I can it's so hard. I'm ready to be. No, it's hard. Yeah. Super hard. So eventually so we, we went to Chicago. So at that time, um Illinois and Massachusetts and California were like the three states that had really good laws regarding surrogacy. Because we already had a a fertility doctor in Chicago, we decided we wanted to be able to have a surrogate that could deliver in Chicago because otherwise you go through a whole, you know, adoption process once the baby's born. But there were laws um, that that where you could actually be on the birth certificate in in Illinois. So we wanted someone who would be able to deliver in Illinois. And plus we had some you know, additional embryos. And the physician we had was in Illinois. So we met and our the agents, the surrogacy agency that we were working with was in Illinois too. So I remember we met our surrogate Megan at an Applebee's with her husband. And immediately it wasn't even the questions that we were asking. It was the the relationship she seemed to have with her husband and most importantly, the kids. So you have to go through all this very uncomfortable things about like, you know, you know, how much money someone will get if they're on bed rest and all these really awkward kind of conversations when you're trying to really just get to know somebody. And I remember that she said, when it came to, uh, she said, you know, I'm not really interested in maternity clothes or, you know, all these other things is not so important to me. But if I am on bed rest, my most important thing are my kids. She had three kids at that point that were like five, three and one. And she said, the most important thing is that I had good, you know, help for my kids. And right there, I was like, that's the kind of person I want, you know, carrying my child. So we, you know, right there, I, I turned to my husband and, and then I said to her, listen, we would love to, love to work with you if you, if you want to work with us. I mean, I'm not expecting you to give any answer right now, but you know, <laughs> and she just, she and her husband just kind of left and then they walked away for a little bit and awesome. they came back and they were like, we would love to work with you too. So we went through our first, you know, our first round and she Aww. had a chemical pregnancy. And then at that point, you know, the doctor was sort of like, listen, again, we, it's not like a lot of people go into surrogacy because they have an issue with their uterus. In my situation, we we just didn't really know what it was. And he said, you know, Joe, if you, if you really want to have, if you want to be a mom, I think you should start an adoption process. Also. And so we did start the adoption process and wanted I wanted to make sure before we did the next transfer, we had I think two transfers in our contract. I just didn't have it in me to do any more than two. And so before we did that, I wanted to kind of make sure that this for this adoption process was also underway because I just couldn't handle a lot more rejection. Like it was just pretty crushing at that point. And so we started to work with an agency and then we did the transfer. And I remember I came home from, I was working and I came home that night and there were flowers on my porch and my husband wasn't home yet. And I look at the flowers and I was like, and I read it and there was a card with it. And it said, congrats, mommy and daddy, I'm on my way. And I was talking to, you know, two of my friends, they're twins. And, and I said, I I seriously, I cannot believe the kind of luck I have. Someone is like having, you know, having a baby and I get their flowers. Like they delivered it to the wrong place. And then I read it again. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. And then oh, I read it again. And then I read I it. Again, and, I was like, mistake, and then I saw it. It said Megan and Brian. And I started screaming at the top of my lungs. I hung up with her. I called my husband. I started screaming. It was before they were, you know, she was even getting the blood test. So, you know, the the actual test wasn't for that you get at the clinic, wasn't even for like three more days. So I call him, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs, and he's saying to me, he's like, Jill, I seriously, I cannot understand you. Please just say it in a regular voice. And whatever it is, we'll get through it. And I was like, Yeah, and he's like, Whatever it is, we'll get through it. And finally I was like, I mean, Megan's pregnant. And he said, what, what, how does she know? And, and he's he like, how does she know? We're not, she doesn't, didn't even get the test. I was like, I don't know. She, you know, she must've, I'm not sure. So then I call her and I was like, you know, I mean, I just, and so, and then started that excitement. So I went from being so excited to then like, oh my God, I feel like she's carrying like walking on a tightrope, holding a spoon, Carrying an egg, and I am sure just because I had had so much disappointment that something's going to go wrong. So you know, you it's like you kind of again go on a different type of roller coaster. Like I couldn't believe, you know, she was actually pregnant. But then it's you know, I'd wake up at four o'clock in the morning, and I would think, and I would have this like you know bad feeling, and I'm like, oh, I think I have mom mother's intuition. I think she just had a miscarriage. And my husband's like, oh, my God, could you please go back to sleep? <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, it is hard. It's hard, hard but though. She was you so, can And then let I remember go. someone yeah, telling me. I again, I had, all of my friends were getting pregnant, like, right around the same time. And a friend of mine was like, oh, my God, it's the craziest story. I heard this story about, you know, somebody else who had um, – they went to the, you know, ultrasound, and the baby didn't have a brain. So I remember, like, all day obsessing about it. And then I called her, and I was like, Megan – I'm freaking out, I, and I tell her the story that I just heard, and she was like, "Oh no, Jill, this baby, this baby definitely has a brain." I'm like, "How do you know?" And she's like, "Because I get sick at the same time every day." And I, and later on, she would, like laugh. She was like, I, "I had to just laugh, like, to my husband because like, you know <laughs> the, the, wow. the, like she's like, Listen, I can't imagine having someone else like carry my child,' but like the conversations were, you know, I was just so worried. And then fast forward, we you know to when she delivered. Um, You know, I remember we were painting our house and the painter was over. It was like nine o'clock on a Saturday. And it was five weeks before my daughter's due date. And she called and she was like, So my water broke. And I said, Okay. Okay. Well, don't worry. Don't worry. You know, and she's like, I'm not worried. And she was so calm during the entire thing. She's like, and we're going to go to the hospital and, uh, you know, you, you meet us there and don't worry. I won't have the baby until you're, until you're there. So we're, you know, so I was like, it's okay. If you have to have the baby before I get there, it's, you know, as if she had any control for that, really right i love that and so uh you know we fly to chicago and we walk in the room i remember the notre dame game was playing and she and her husband are just you know kind of and i was like and my husband the whole time on the flight he was like jill just make sure you're you're really calm you know we have to be there for her we you know this is you know we want this to go as smoothly as possible anyway we get in there and i was so calm that she was like jill it's why are you so calm? <laughs> and anyway, <laughs> everything went fine. The, um, our daughter was delivered. My husband got to cut the cord. Um, I, you know, it, they put the baby right in my arms. And she said, she, and then she, and we both stayed at the hospital. It was so nice. They let us stay at the hospital too. And the next day I was speaking to her, I, t- I sp- you know, was talking to her and she was like, Jill, I have to say I've delivered three of my own kids, but to see the look on your face, when you held eliana for the first time is something i will never forget it's it's like you gave me the biggest gift for letting me um carry Aww. your daughter for you know eight and a half Ooh. months we, we have
0: her gestational carriers describe that as the crack moment oh. and why they want to do it again. They're like that moment. Yes. Right?
2: Yeah. It that's was just like she's just an incredible, yeah. incredible, incredible human being. And six months later, she called us and she's like, listen, if you want to do it again, uh, we'll do it again with you. So we were like, Great. And so, you know, the second journey, I I don't know how much you want me to go into the second journey, but it was not easy either. And we went through another like two and a half years of, of trying to have our second daughter. And then our second daughter was born with, you know, she also was born early, but unlike Eliana, she had a ton of different issues and was in the hospital and, uh, you know, got transferred in the middle of the night to like, a you know, a more higher acuity hospital. She had total respiratory failure, Anyway, she's and so Megan was like, listen, I'll donate my milk. I'll do whatever I can. Yeah, she's just, she's like, she's truly our saint. I mean, she's like our angel. And we are super grateful, grateful now to, you know, to have two wonderful girls. They're very close. And, you know, I look back on that journey and I just, I wish I could have had more faith. I think my husband always believed some way, somehow we were going to be parents. And I just could I just, I just didn't see how that was ever going to work out for us, and it left me feeling so lonely, so um, disappointed, so you know, there, there was so much shame attached to it, so isolated because nobody really talks about it, and I, I feel like you know, if there's something I can, if there, if there's one person out there that I can even help by bringing this and and more normalizing, you know, surrogacy and. Fertility in general. There's so many people that go through it. And so many people, yeah, I mean, it's a bell curve. Of course, there's some people who get pregnant, their first round of IVF, but there's a lot of people that still end up uh, having families after multiple rounds of IVF or, you know, an egg donor or surrogacy or a sperm donor or, you know, or adoption or choose to be child free. And I just think that there's so many different ways that this story can end. And the more I think we talk about it, and normalize it, the better it is for so for people as they get into these situations.
0: That is our exact Absolutely. podcast goal: is helping people yep. not feel not alone feel alone. To hear yep. what others have been through to help to help them. Yeah.
1: And I went through in the same years that you did. Uh, so my daughter was born in the same year as your oldest daughter. Oh, she and was. I'll tell you what. Yeah, and I, nobody talked about yeah. infertility back then it was a shameful shameful secret. Yep. You know, so it's yeah. So I totally that that, that really resonated with me personally. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so Naomi, you had a different path. So it I I actually like when you started talking just on your little brief interview or overview at the at the start, I was interested about you talking about autoimmune protocol. Did you know from the start or did that come in later? Cuz that's a very Uh, That's something I see a lot of people go through way later, but then it's like we struggled for X number of years and had no idea I needed, you know, I had an autoimmune issue. Um, Was that how did your journey go
3: for that? I mean, it's the kind of thing where, you know, Jill, when you were talking about, I wish I would have known X, right? I wish I would have had more faith. I wish I would. It's like, gosh, I wish I would have been educated around the different ways that the medical community approaches fertility. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and the three schools of medical practice around fertility, both You know, OBGYN, which is really like, we're going to solve this problem. And it has, it's a systemic problem that like we can solve either through surgery or drugs. And then there's the endocrinology aspect of this, um, which has to do with your endocrine system. And then there's, and then there's the autoimmune. And that's the least, um, it's the newest in the field. But I think in terms of like Jill, with your saying, I just want to know an answer, like that, that was the answer. (laughs) And that, that ended up the answer and that came (laughs) after (laughs) six years so wow would that have been great to even know that that field exists and the only reason i knew about it was because my friend um amy klein who's a very um well-known writer on this topic and just came out with a book on this and wrote for the new york times mother blog she was like you really need to go see x person because they're going to they're going to do completely yeah. different kinds of testing. Now, the fun part about that is right. that the medical community because it's new, because it doesn't have the quantity of results yet, nothing's covered. I mean, nothing is covered and it is ghastly expensive. So, but what I'm saying is the diagnostic work that often is covered from OBGYN, the diagnostic testing in autoimmune challenges is not covered. And to run a panel can be like $6,500. Like that is outrageous. And I do want to say like the person I ended up going to um, was one of the few people in the field. um, Jeffrey Braverman was one of the few people in the field doing this work around recurring miscarriages and really uh, addressing the autoimmune system. And he tragically just passed away. And and, and wow. so no one, like all of his, and he was a research wow. as well as clinician. So that I, is a, yeah, that is that. a massive yeah. loss to the field, to hopefuls, to, you know, and, you know, not to mention to his family and friends and folks that were working with him. So I just wanted to honor his memory and have, you know, yeah, share my absolutely. deep gratitude.
1: Um, yeah. so, so you mentioned miscarriages. So do you have an kind of a different path story. So were you able to get pregnant and just not carry them fully?
3: Yeah. um, well, you know, I started at a late at a later um, age. um, you know, I was immediately immediately labeled AMA. Not American Medical Association, but advanced. <laughs> we know the AMA label very well. Yes. So advanced, you know. So it's it's not even like the stigma of oh my god, I have to do this, but now I'm an old person, right? So oh, thank you very right. much. Thirty is right. not the new. Twenty or whatever. I know, it is. right? You're like, so, come on. <laughs> so, so even just walking into the clinic and just having labels like laid on me immediately was really, really challenging for me and for my self-esteem and for my self-punishment and just, I'm, I'm to blame. I'm to blame. I'm to blame. You know, it's like all those messages, the internalized message. Why'd you wait so long? You've been married for three years. Why haven't you been doing this? You know, or
1: whatever. Right. Why didn't you start the second? Why didn't you start two years in advance? Exactly. You know? Come on.
3: Yeah. And so um, I was I was diagnosed with quote low ovarian reserve, which is basically like. Not doesn't matter, like it doesn't matter because if you don't have a lot of eggs, it doesn't matter, you just need one, and that's eventually where I got to with um, an incredible fertility specials. I ended up going to, but I did the big clinic route for a while, and they immediately started with an aggressive treatment. I was able after two rounds of IVF, uh, we did IUI a couple rounds of IUI first, and then after the second round of IVF, I did get pregnant. You know, I had like all sorts of spiritual vows to myself. I'm like, I'm gonna be pregnant before I'm forty. And I was. I was pregnant on my fortieth, you know, fortieth birthday, I was actually pregnant, but I did not I lost the I lost the the baby. Um the baby's heart stopped. We did testing on it. Um it was around almost twelve weeks and we did testing on it and um and it was nor it was normal, normal chromosome. So who knows? So who knows? So, you know, I also have a brother who's an OBGYN, so I was like on the phone with him every single day day, like texting, chat, you know, like I don't know how people who don't have siblings who are OBGYNs make it through any of this. Right. You know, <laughs> I realized that I have an enormous amount of privilege and access, like to be able to call it or text at any point and just ask questions. So the other piece of this was that I really, you know, I'd made a vow to myself. And I think that's the piece the piece of this I would like to share with my story is i I made vows along the way. So I made a vow to myself when I was in my early mid thirties, like I'm going to let go of the need to have a child from myself. It was basically like I wasn't partnered. So okay, if I'm not partnered, I could either go crazy on dating sites and try to like, like make my full time job being finding a partner, which many of my friends did. And there's no shame in that it was a goal. And they met that goal. Or I can let go of the idea of like that this baby has to come from me for my body for my genetics. And I will let go of that because I know I want to be a mom, but there are many pathways to being a mom. So I actually made that vow to myself in my early 30s and little did I know that (laughs) that I would be like fulfilling that vow. So I always thought about that when I was going through this of like the promises that you make to yourself and what you're willing to let go of. The other piece of this is, aside from all the medical pieces, I, I mean, just... Every, you know, you've, you're, you've been through this, you've done this work, you're, you're talking to people, you're doing a podcast. Every, every sentence that either Jill or I say has 17 layers to it. So if I say right. all the meds I needed to take, well, everything in that process of like, how do you get the meds? How much do the meds cost? How do you administer them? If you're a single mm-hmm. person trying to have a baby, how do you put that progesterone shot in your butt when it's seven feet long, of a needle and you have to do that by yourself. Like there's so many pieces to each one of these steps that have the emotional cost. That's what I'm saying that have emotional and, and socioeconomic and all different kinds of costs to this too. The good news about this is that I do not like to suffer alone so, so <laughs> I was very vocal about what how what I was going through when I was going through it and I shared openly um, in you know in the cyber community and with friends and family because um, I needed that support but I also did it knowingly because I'm a religious leader and because I am a leader in my community I know that when I put stuff out there that if I put it out there, I'm gonna get flooded with responses. And what would happen is I would get three types of responses and I'm sure you're gonna chuckle at the third one. The first type of (laughs) response, I'm already, I'm waiting for it. The first type of response I got was like, thank you for seeing me. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for sharing your story because I feel seen, right? I don't have the courage or the wherewithal or the desire or um, what fill in the blank to share my own story. And by you sharing, I actually feel like the world is seeing me, so thank you. The second is I need advice, like help me resources, connection, you know, like whatever, how can you know, can you help me? The third piece is I got tons of advice. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, if you only just go have, you have tried a bottle of re- have wine, you tried wine and relax,
0: it'd be heard be totally fine. All that relaxing, right?
3: <laughs> so I will share with you that what you two just did, in per- in perfect. I mean, literally, I could not have. Scripted, I could not. I could not have scripted it better. Is actually a scene in a performance piece that we created. I'm skipping wow. a little bit. Um, <laughs> it's actually a scene in a per- performance piece we created called Trimester: a Jew- uh, Jewish Fertility Journeys Out Loud. Um, that we crafted and co-wrote and co-designed with um, one of the founders of Uprooted, Dahlia Davis, based on real life stories, as you can imagine. So to me, it was like, I put myself out there and I made a second vow, which the second vow I made, and I think Jill, I told you this when I met you, was, um, the second vow that I made was I could not believe how many people had been impacted by this and hadn't talked about it or i didn't know their story or I, didn't know, I didn't know i didn't know i didn't know i didn't know right so I said all right i'm going this is an issue that I'm going to work on because the isolation the alone and we we already suffer from aloneness in this society right now and then triple that by the vulnerability that comes with fertility journeys, so I made a vow to myself that I was going to stay on this issue no matter what happened so what happens often, and I, I credit both of you with this podcast, what what happens often is that when you finish your fertility journey, whatever the outcome is, if you decide you don't, you know, you're not going to afford and you're not going to have children, you don't want to touch this ever again, and if you decide that you're going to have children, all of a sudden your life is consumed by, it. I'm a new parent. Wait, what, you know, for if it's adoption or surrogacy or, or assisted reproductive technologies yeah. of any kind. You're consumed with learning how to become a parent. So this issue drops for you. And so I I decided like, nah, like no matter what. And I will tell you that I was writing this show seconds before I went in to have my baby like it was like I was wow I w- this was like fu- this was part of my whole process. so what ended up happening was by the time I finally got to the immunological protocols, I had I mean I lost count. I think I did eight IVFs. I believe I did maybe somewhere around six to eight IUIs. We skipped Clomid. I mean, that was not even like, ha, 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 that's child's play. You know, like that's... <laughs> yeah. And what, what ended up happening, and I tried, you know, all sorts of holistic pieces to this as well, too. I asked my brother, I'm like, what do you think of acupuncture? He's like, I don't have any empirical evidence, but it can't hurt. You know, like he was all for whatever I wanted to try, you know, that would help me spiritually, wellness-wise, emotionally, medically. I w- I'm in for it. The immunological protocol that I underwent, um, was, I'm just going to use a very technical term. It was whack-a-doodle. It was like, I was taking, drugs. <laughs> I was taking drugs. I don't even know the long-term impact, but like Jill, I was like, what's next? Let's go, let's do this. I'm a very goal-oriented person. I'm going to be a mom if we're gonna do this, I was already starting to like think about foster to adoption and adoption and like what do I do? I had actually placed for an egg donor and said no, like I chickened out. Like you know, you're on a list, oh, and, wow. alt- and 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 all, I, I just chickened out. I'm like, let's do one more round of IVF. I mean, we were making bargains like crazy, like crazy. Um, And the cycles, you know, it's not unlike. It's not unlike the cycle of, you know, when you go through grief, it's like you go through all these emotions and they're just cyclical. The hope, the despair, the, the fear, the bargaining, the denial, all of it. So I ended up working with Dr. Braverman and a clinic up in upstate New York called CNY. And with those two who are also very immunologically focused. Um, And then I also had my fertility specialist who I went to, she's not part of the big clinic I went to, but she was in New York City, um, small office, very, you know, our, my last round of IVF, we went back to a mini round of a mini IVF it's called, where we were like, we're going to just get the juiciest, yummiest eggs we possibly can. We're going to go for one, maybe two eggs. And they were looking great. They were like top rated, top shelf grade, super AAA eggs and, uh, or follicles, I should say. And the embryos look fantastic. Good grades for all of them. And they didn't take, and she just looked at me and she's like, I, I have no answer for you. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you you know, I thought this was really going to happen. I was very confident. And that's when she made the recommendation for this clinic upstate that focuses on lower cost IVF um, and and egg donor uh, programs. And I said, well, what's wrong with them? <laughs> you know, by the, <laughs> by the lower cost. And she said, well, the cost of living up there is less. So they probably pay their donors a little bit less. And this is this is this man's mission, you know, that Dr. Kiltz, who started the um, who started the clinics? There's three of them up there um, in Upstate, and his mission is to offer lower cost. You know, because he knows the laws, and we know the insurance issues, and and so the cost of me doing an egg donation round was a shared frozen egg donation round, I should say, was the cost of one IVF cycle in New York City. Wow. Whereas in New York City, it would have been twenty six to thirty six thousand dollars. It was like twelve thousand five hundred. Our first, which is still so expensive. Oh, I- I'm no throwing these what. numbers out like they're monopoly I money. I mean, right. I, I want to say the other piece of this too, and I'm going to be very can- candid about this, which is I am a, I'm a community professional. I do not have massive resources. Um, and I love to raise money for other people's causes. I had to go out and ask for money from people. And that uh, is a... Oh, it, it, it's it's a, hard. It's a... It's hard. It is. You swallow your stomach. You, you're hyster. Like I, I actually went to a rabbi and said to him, "Can you help me to think about how to do this?" Like. What do I say? How do I ask people? How do I get beyond my own ego on this? Like, let's reframe this. Like, could this be like a tzedakah community, like a charity community project? Like you're investing in the Jewish future. You know, like what can I like? How can I reframe this so I can feel good about this, about asking people and that I'm not like a charity case? And he was so helpful and you can't even imagine. And I think a lot of people don't think to go to their, to their members of clergy for this. And a lot of our clergy is not equipped, which is a lot of the work that Uprooted is doing. I will tell you that at the end of that conversation, he's, he helped me, he offered to like write letters to people for me. Like, I mean, it was just, wow. I, I was so loved and so hugged and so helped. And then at the, the last sentence he said to me was, and I want to give you $5,000 for my discretionary. <gasps> oh, fund. wow. Wow. Yeah, that's nice. And I, I, I'm tearing up right now, even just remembering this. Um, yeah. You know, I was a puddle. I was a puddle because I was not expecting that. I felt, you know, I felt foolish um, for, at, you know, for like having to ask. Like, it's just, so not only are you doing a lot of blame around your body around this, but then you're right. like, my gosh, like, is this just for the haves and not, and not the have nots? And like, and I'm, I'm part, okay. Like yeah. I'm not even, I'm not even like impoverished. I'm an, yeah. I make money as a professional, you know, right. but nobody mm-hmm. budgets for fertility. So all right. of a sudden I'm thinking, okay, well, I guess, you know, your are you, my life planning for you has just shifted massively for the schools and camps and things that I, you've, Already attended that I've paid for that you yeah. haven't even been born right. yet. <laughs> paid for it in advance. <laughs> so um, so it ended up being that I did this protocol. The first the first egg donor didn't work. She hadn't cycled. We didn't have data on her, obviously. Um, so we ended up using a donor. To their credit, they reached out to me and said we didn't like the look of those embryos. We're giving you a new set of six eggs. Oh, wow. um, yeah. You just have to pay for the transfer. So that was a major, you know, like help. And the second donor had cycled three positive pregnancies from her frozen eggs. And that's who we went with. Because of the immunological protocol, I ended up having a very tough pregnancy. I had a major bleed. I was on sort of how I called it house arrest. You know, I wasn't on bed rest, but like, it was very scary. I didn't tell, I didn't tell anybody really. I mean, very few people until I was, I think, I was like, I kept asking my brother, okay, so like, when's the earliest state that a baby couldn't survive out of, out of the uterus? Like, you know what, you know, if you, if you went into emergency right. procedure, like what, what's it, how many weeks, you know? And I, I made it to, I think five and a half months where I actually breathed and was like, okay, I think I can tell people because I was terrified as Jill said, anything that like, Anything that could possibly go wrong was already in my head of like, that's going to go wrong. So so that's my story. I mean, that's the work and that's the work that we're doing, you know. Right.
1: And well, and so bring it together. How how did you guys meet? When did you meet? What what started up? You know, tell us a little bit about Uprooted and how you support people that way.
3: Well, Uprooted was founded by um, Becca Shimshak and Dahlia Davis. And the two of them I actually knew from my professional life. And they decided that they wanted to really focus on healing and utilizing ritual and spiritual and artistic means to help folks heal um, we all all three of us work in the Jewish and the faith community of Judaism and so we decided we started looking around sniffing around there was not a lot out there to, we felt like the Jewish community did not have an enormous amount to offer us in our journeys and in fact uh, oftentimes in certain situations it just it just laid on shame and, and blame and stigma. You know when you walk into synagogue and it's like oh you guys pregnant yet i know you got married and uh, the, you know like yeah. so, like there's a lot of stuff questions. that's you know you think of, if you think of like the stereotypical jewish mother like being nosy and asking questions right <laughs> like there but that comes from something which is that the first law the first rule the first commandment in the bible is to go out and be fruitful and multiply it's the yeah. first thing that's mentioned and and Jews have taken that very seriously. And that's part of like what it means to, you know, be part of community is to have a family. And so, so the stigma is really deep in our, in our DNA or our, or our broad on DNA for those who join the Jewish community that aren't from birth. And so, you know, that's, that's the tough part. So we started looking around, they, they formed the organization. I came in a little way when I started my journey. I'm like, I want to help with this. And what ended up happening is we ended up looking to how we could support, like, what's our niche going to be in this field? And with our expertise. We felt that we really could, I have a lot of expertise in training and facilitation. Dali has an enormous, and and Jewish text um, and spiritual ritual work. Dali has an enormous amount of text knowledge and healing and spiritual work as well too. Um, And we decided that the content that we could really provide would be around helping clergy and volunteers and folks uh, within the Jewish community understand not just the do's and don'ts of like what to say to people, but like how to really be proactively putting this on the map so that people felt like the Jewish community is a place where they could actually go to and feel comfortable. The second piece of this is how folks in the community could, you know, so much of religious work is based around families and programming. so. What could we do to help people, you know, participate in community life that wasn't necessarily family focused all the time? Mm-hmm. And so we created this program called the Roots Program, which is a seasonal program around Jewish holidays and celebrations where folks who are struggling to come together and like learn with a spiritual advisor or participate or celebrate knowing that they're not going to be surrounded by like toddlers at, a, you know, at a synagogue event. So is that local or that's a program that clergy locally can use to have? So we're a national, we're a national program and we're going community by community. It is a lot of groundwork and Jill, this is a good sure. place to tap in. This is, you know, for example, we're entering into the Minneapolis community. There's an enormous amount that you have to learn about the community. What are their resources already? What's on the ground? What are the community organizations that are there? What is poised for leveraging for more work? What, what do people know already? Um, what kind of funding is in place there? The idea is to bring in our, our performance piece, Trimester, as a catalyst to launch programming that feels right for that community. And so Jill is one of our one of our co chairs of bringing trimester into the Minneapolis community. It's been doing on the ground work to help promote the work that we're doing, which will be around these small roots groups, around potentially leveraging funding that's already in the community to up train clergy and chaplains and folks that can be helpful, and to really bring an address to this work in the in the Twin Cities, I should say. It's Minneapolis and Saint Paul. Got it. Uh, What can
0: people do to connect or help with with the cause?
3: So so first of all, obviously, um, there are resources that are available already. So there are national resources that do cross over um, communities. One is we have a mentoring, a guide program where we have volunteers that have been through, like Jill and myself, um, that can volunteer to be matched up with somebody going through it not to solve their problems or fix it or give them advice, as we all know, that really, you know, that can just trigger you all kinds of ways, but um, really to be on the journey with them and to be a support and to listen, um, to be a, a healing listening ear. Um, and so anybody can sign up for that program and anybody can reach out to be matched on that program at our website, weareuprooted.org.
0: And we'll we'll link
3: in the description as well. So people can easily find that. Thank you. And the other piece is like getting the word out. If, um, you know, certainly we love to partner with folks, but if you are, if you are part of the, the faith-based community of Judaism in your community, and you feel like there is a need for this program to certainly get in touch with us, because this is what we right? do. We come in yeah. and we help you to help yourselves. Um, yeah. And certainly if you're in the Minneapolis and St. Paul area, and this is the performance is built, not just for people who have either are struggling or have had fertility challenges, which covers everybody, every race, every ethnicity, every sex, every Mm -hmm. gender, Um, every socioeconomic level, like the the performance itself touches upon as many of these different kinds of identities and situations, whether they're couples or or, uh, individual folks who are trying to become parents. And so the idea is that this is going to be a catalyst. And the other piece of this of this performance is that it's it's also a way for you to show up for other people, even if this is not your story, to. To know that you're walking into a space where you can witness somebody's journey and the themes that are part of this show, people walk out, the feedback that I get all the time is that people walk out saying, you know, this was not my journey, but I connected to a lot of the themes there are universal, which is like Mm -hmm. if you've ever been in a place where you didn't know the outcome of your story. What does it mean to be in that liminal space of not knowing if you're at the beginning, the middle or end of the journey that you're on? That can be a really alienating and isolating time in anybody. Everyone's been through something like that at some point in their life. So a lot of this stuff is universal themed
2: and I'll just add to that I think that was great Naomi I'll add you know really bringing I mean we there's so much emphasis right now and so much publicity in terms of cancer and you know everybody knows somebody going through that but here it, it doesn't look you, you can't tell someone's going through fertility uh, and, and people don't look different and, and you can't tell if someone uses an egg donor um, that you know they, they look preg- you know they, they're pregnant just like everybody else if they adopt but, but to bring understanding and awareness Awareness to this disease, if you will, uh, I think is really very important. I think there just needs to be a lot more um, education brought to it. Friends and family, they don't know what to say. You know, they they do they ask obviously you know questions, but they but they really and, and maybe inappropriate questions at that. But but they really just. They want to know, and and we want to be able to empower both families, friends, and the people going through this to feel more comfortable and not to feel so shameful and isolated during this process. I think that, you know, Uprooted has done a really good job that they've done this. They've developed this in Boston, in New York. Now it's coming to Minneapolis, and, you know, there's lots of uh, many, many communities can and will benefit from this. So the more people that we want to get on the ground, uh, you know, helping with this is phenomenal. And there's lots of different ways you can, there's lots of different ways you can do it. Like for example, my, my background is marketing and sales. And so I'm helping, you know, really get the word out there. helping doing some publicity for this. And so I think that there's a variety of different ways um, people can, people can be involved.
0: Naomi, Jill, we are so incredibly grateful for you for sharing your stories and for this amazing resource and support that you're bringing to others in the community. So I just want to thank you so much for, for coming on with us. Thank you, Jill, Naomi, for coming on the show and sharing so much about your organization and the amazing work that you guys are doing.
1: It's so uplifting to talk about people who are Supporting and just outreach and really getting the word out there. So it's really lovely to hear and see. Um, But thank you, as always, speaking of support and uplifting and love, to our incredible team that takes such wonderful care of us and makes us feel loved, to Lexi and Tyler and Amanda, and of course huge thank you to chris at work at bird studio and if, if you all want to make us feel loved then then leave us that review on itunes or or check in with us on facebook and, and leave us a message there so um hugest thank you of all though to all of you who listen and who support us through all of this and letting us help people tell their stories